1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside the host of the Bucks Radio Network and Courtside Live, and regular co host with me on Locked on Bucks. It's Justin Garcia. And I thought you were the perfect man to bring back on the show today, Justin, because I know uh, prior to the first Boston Celtics game, we were talking about trade deadline day. And I think overall, even when we chatted with uh, Frank Madden on this show as well, we suspected it was going to be a pretty quiet day for the Bucs. That ultimately was the case. Uh, Before we go through all these deals that went down today and how it implicates the Bucs, Milwaukee do play Boston again on Friday night. So it's going to be a 6.30 tip again for that game. And there is just a little bit of an update as far as the availabilities for the Bucks in this one. Bryn Forbes missed yesterday's game with a right toe sprain. He is listed as probable. Giannis is not on the injury report at all, which is fantastic news. Uh, perhaps the, the troubling name that's on the list is PJ Tucker, who is listed as doubtful with a left calf strain. Now, we know uh, he had the ankle issue there a couple of games ago where he tweaked that. So we'll keep an eye out on this calf strain. Clearly, for a guy that's 35 years old, this is not the type of injury that you want and can be, uh, you know, this can be really derail someone's season. So we'll wait and see what comes out of this. Uh, You know, we speculated a lot about the fact that he didn't play late. I was of the belief that it was a minute-load situation there. He played 18 minutes in that first game against Boston. But certainly, with the Defensive prowess that we saw rise to the surface in that game against Boston. We were all feeling pretty optimistic about PJ Tucker. So certainly not something that you want to see on the injury report when you take a look today, Justin.
0: Yeah, uh caps and hamstrings are the two things that, especially with veteran players, you don't really want to see. And um, you know, I'm I'm fine with PJ Tucker not playing until you leave for your trip out west, if that's what it means. And and even beyond that as we've Said for the last, you know, for the entire season. But since that move was made, too, everything that the Bucks do is going to be done to help them out in uh, well, what now this year, May, June, and hopefully July. So if it means we don't see PJ Tucker for a couple of games, I I'm fine with that. If it means that he is uh, just rehabbing an injury or just continuing to get better behind the scenes, um, and the honest one was most surprising to me. Because, you know, we kind of talked about it uh, before, but watching that game, and I know Coach Budenholzer was asked about this, and and I talked about this immediately after uh, Coach's availability and the locker room availability with our friend Eric Name as, as he was leaving the arena. I know that uh, it was something that they tried to avoid and Bud didn't want to answer it and just, well, he was cleared to play and that's what we go by. He was not 100%. I think that was very very evident that he wasn't the same guy. So for him to not even
1: be on the injury report is a little surprising to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I did, you know, potentially expect that he would be there. Um, I think that, again, it's just probably a further indication that uh, maybe he was feeling a little bit hesitant. And I sort of certainly pointed to the fact that there could be some mental, uh, you know, mental um, concerns, I guess, from Giannis and just that physical ability to go and play with the attack that he plays with and not think about, the fact that he has been a little bit sore in the knee. But I, again, with a player that important, with the approach that the Bucks have taken this season, I don't really have a concern that they would put him out there in a dangerous position. So I think if he had, have, again, shown up on the injury report, then I you know, perhaps would have been a little bit concerned. The fact that, well, why didn't you not just rest him in that first game? So the fact he's not there, I think, is a good sign. And we'll see uh, how he looks physically uh, in this second game here. Now, as far as the Celtics go with the injury report. They did make a trade today or a couple of moves that were made. So Daniel Tice, the guy that missed the game winner. What a Boston Celtics finale it could have been for Daniel Tice. But the starting center, he's gone. He's not going to be with the Celtics. Jeff Teague, he's gone. I'm sure we'll bring him up in just a little bit here. Uh, Ojale is out with the left side strain. Uh, he left the game early there. Javante... Green is also out. Romeo Langford, who was already out, and Tristan Thompson, who was already out, with the health and safety protocols. So you're talking about a seriously shorthanded Boston team that the Bucks are going to have tomorrow. And uh, you know, I, I guess as far as starting center goes, it's probably Grant Williams right now. They're going to be a small team uh, again. We'll get through those trades in a bit, but that's the injury wrap ahead of the Bucks and the Celtics in this second game here. Milwaukee looking to try and win nine games in a row. Uh, But let's start with the Bucks before we move on to the other team's trades. No trade made. Uh, They made their deal last week. We suspect that this was going to be the case. Two roster spots still available. The buyout market now is really going to open up. Uh, We already saw today that there's potentially a few targets that could be available. Uh, I think we have identified a couple of those already, but were you sitting by your phone with any type of anxiety? Was there any expectation that anything uh, could be thrown in there to, to throw the morning into chaos or the afternoon, I should say for you? Um,
0: no, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't anticipate anything that I'm, I'm pretty sure we were, we were on the same page there that I thought if, if anything did get done, the extent of what they would have done, Would be maybe like a second round pick or something for a Wayne Ellington type. I thought that was basically all you would see. I mean, I know uh, Evan Fournier would certainly be a good fit, and I would take him as a bench player. But I still, uh, man, it feels like the magic sold very low on Evan Fournier. I get that he was a a expiring contract, but I just didn't think that uh, the Bucks would have the assets. I thought it would be more than just a pair of second round draft picks to get him. So um I I thought if they did make something it would be that that it's just one or two second rounders that you're trading and even then we know about the first rounders that the Bucks have given away they're not exactly flush with second round picks either so that was another challenge for them so long story short I didn't assume anything would happen and if it did I think we all knew it was going to be very very small scale move that was done
1: so the Bucks I think we have you know, pretty regularly identified that it's likely going to be a guard as the number one priority uh, we keep on mentioning this guy but to the surprise of no one it does look like Austin Rivers is is you know perhaps pegged as a guy that bucks are going to target but also that man Jeff Teague that i mentioned earlier or Mike Bruden a player obviously knows uh, bud fairly well he's been with the celtics and actually has shot the ball pretty damn well this season 46% but uh, he is 32 years old now, and certainly the sense I got from talking to some people that follow the Celtics and cover the Celtics that uh, let's just say they weren't all that disappointed about losing Jeff Teague. Uh, Part of the deal with moving on Tice and Teague and some of these other veterans was luxury tax. Luxury tax, uh, You know, which, again, that's something that happens at this time of year. I don't think they think that losing Jeff Teague is going to be the difference between them winning a the title or not. But as far as the Bucks needing a backup guard that not necessarily is going to be asked to do a lot or maybe perhaps not even going to slot right into the to the regular rotation, is Jeff Teague a guy that pikes your interest at all? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
0: of, uh, of all the names that were out there, uh, I would certainly much rather prefer Austin Rivers than uh, Jeff Teague. And, you know, I... The Jeff Teague thing is interesting because if you go by the numbers and what he's done, you would think, man, he hasn't really had that, that poor of a season. But as you mentioned, you talk to people around the team, and it's a much different story. And it's probably, I mean, the numbers aren't quite as good for DJ Augustine, but it was probably similar to DJ Augustine. And if you look at it on the surface, you would say, okay, he's doing, you know, he's a, he's a mid-30s three-point shooter, decent, and the points are down. But I would assume because he's not playing a lot and not – in an offense that's structured for him. So why not give him a shot when those Bucks fans that have seen the team this year would think, yeah, uh, I would maybe lean towards someone else. If you look at Jeff Teague's numbers too, I mean, it, it's pretty much being propped up by the shooting, by what he's done this month and just before the all-star break too. That's when he really started to go on a hot streak. So he, he didn't have a great season up until – what, like two to three weeks ago, he started to kind of heat up and that boosted his numbers. I, um, I would just much rather see some different things. Um, I don't know that it's a good thing either that I, I, this is another thing that, that Bucks fans and that we've all kind of discussed for the last two years with Coach Budenholzer that there are so many names you'll be linked to. Uh, and we know about Urson, and uh, obviously Urson standing with the team, but with Bud as well. And Kyle Corver was another big name That, you know, I don't know that, and it looks like the team has started to move away from it. I don't know that it's something you should be reliant on. Of Well, this guy understands the system and he knows this and I have familiarity with him. Like, that was five to six years ago or more that, you know, let's let's try to find something else. And I haven't heard anything that would link Jeff Teague to the Bucs. I mean, I know it's only been less than half a day, but it seems like it's more connecting the dots of, well, he did play for Coach Bud, and this team needs a backup point guard more than uh, the Austin Rivers stuff, which, which seems much more substantiated. So hopefully that's the case because my preference would be Austin Rivers if I'm choosing between the
1: two. Yeah, I think it also is just the simple fact that the guard market is so thin. And you know this, again, is something that we've mentioned. I mean, there's just not that many guys out there that you're going to be able to pick up. So I think the fact that those two are two of the uh, more recognizable names will say that, that I think that automatically there's going to be a link there. But I, I tend to agree with you. The thought of Jeff Teague on the box is not all that exciting to me. Uh, one other player that is least going to be out there is Avery Bradley, who hasn't played for over a month now. I think he, he also had some calf issues, I believe. I was, I was looking into this a couple of weeks back um, with Miami, but he hasn't played since the start of February. Clearly, that deal with the Heat hasn't really worked out. A big part of that it was the injury. Uh, he was moved in the Victor Oladipo deal. We can touch on what that means for Miami a little bit later on. But Avery Bradley, uh, uh, you know, obviously with the Lakers last season, I don't think he's going to stay in Houston. Another veteran guy that's at least played in playoff games in his time that might be out there. Again, we keep saying this, but I, I just my expectations are different to perhaps some others in that whatever guy they pick up here or whatever guy comes into the team, I'm not expecting them to walk straight into major minutes or anything uh, in that regard. So I guess that, you know, an Avery Bradley, a Jeff Teague, a Austin Rivers, none of them are all that exciting, uh, but they're at least a veteran guy that have, that have played in big games, break glass in case of emergency. Someone gets in foul trouble, they can get you five minutes in a playoff game. I think that's really all we're looking at. Yeah.
0: And I mean, Avery Bradley, and that's one that I, uh, you know, didn't really consider either until um, later this afternoon but Avery Bradley to me would would make a lot of sense too in that assuming he is healthy or you feel like we're able to get him back to full health because I think he's he's only played in like 10 or so games this season but I mean his shooting splits are right in line with what he's done throughout his career so it's a matter of making sure he's healthy but that was a guy that you know was certainly on a wish list for most uh, around the team and most fans in the offseason too of well let's see what the going rate is for Avery Bradley and uh, what it would it cost to get him and, and seeing him go to Miami was disappointing at the time so plus him coming to the Bucks. I mean as you said let's also be realistic with our expectations of what you're asking of these guys that any new acquisition PJ Tucker was going to be the guy that was going to get the most minutes and even then I mean, what, we assume it's going to be dependent on you know situation and, and team that they're playing, but 20, 25 minutes or so that he's playing in the postseason. And Avery Bradley isn't going to play that much, or whoever it is they bring in in the backcourt, isn't going to be playing that much. So he would essentially be taking over the minutes for Sam Merrill, where towards the stretch drive to the playoffs, and if you do go through some more stretches like this where you're short in the backcourt, then, yeah. You would play him a little bit more, but it's just another security blanket where you have a guy that has the two-way ability that Avery Bradley has that you can throw out there in some moments.
1: All right, we'll continue this conversation uh, in a little bit. I do want to mention an old friend of ours, Jabari Parker, but before that, I want to talk about betonline.ag, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. I was taking a look at this this morning. I believe... After the deadline, not much has changed with the top, top, top contenders. The Bucks are still second favorite in the East, uh, behind Brooklyn around fourth favorite for the title overall there. So uh, they're still one of the fancies as far as the betting odds go, but you can get real updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On at BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now, uh, I did tease that I was going to bring up Jabari Parker and this is more of a this is more of a sad story I, I honestly feel Jabari looks like he's going to get waived by the Sacramento Kings and I know still to this point I mean he's been with the Kings for a year now really since last year's trade deadline but it can still be surprising when you hear his name associated with the Kings he really has not played at all but I did see some suggestion out there on Twitter tonight that this might be the end for Jabari Parker and I got to tell you I find, that, I find that very sad. And I, I know that some Bucks fans might not worry too much or they might not think about this too much. But I do always, when I think about Jabari Parker, I, I think of two things. I think of draft night when the feeling from within the Bucks, the feeling from the, a large part of the fan base, depending on what you thought about that draft, Jabari Parker was the big hope for this team. They'd come off 15 win seasons, and this was the prize. This was the prize. You get Jabari Parker, a guy that looked like a surefire lock to be a 20 to 25 point per game scorer for the next decade for your franchise, and you get to pair him next to this shining light in Giannis that we had no idea what he was going to become, but he was an incredibly exciting prospect. And for him to go down uh, just 25 games into his rookie season, tear his ACL, come back, tear it again, it was difficult to watch, and and I know that you know as far as the situation ended in Milwaukee, it wasn't what a lot of people expected. It wasn't what anyone really wanted, but it wasn't what he wanted either. And I think that for a guy that came in as such a blue chip prospect that was going to be such a star in a league, an all star caliber player, it's a shame. It's a real shame to see the way that this has panned out because uh, he was a guy that uh, I know myself. I was tremendously excited to see him up close and and the way he was able to score and his athleticism and the way he could dunk and he had the jump shot. He was, he looked like the full offensive package and you know, I, I hope somehow there's some future for him in the league and he can latch onto another team, but it's not looking great.
0: Yeah, he was, um, I was going to say supposed to be what Giannis is, but mm. it wasn't quite to that level that I don't think we anticipated Jabari Parker was right. going to become the MVP, but he was supposed to be the star and Giannis was going to be his running mate. And I mean, we saw that as well with the initial contracts that were doled out and, and Giannis taking less money on that first extension that he signed just so the team could re-sign Jabari Parker. Um, it's It's just unfortunate because, you know, I'm with you where, look, this is maybe one of the very few things – in hindsight, I was right on, I really wanted the Bucs to take Joel Embiid. And I was in on him all throughout that collegiate season and just figured a team in the position that the Bucs are in, why not just roll the dice on this guy getting through those injury issues, staying healthy, and based off the very, very limited things we saw from him at Kansas and the skill set, this guy could be something special or who knows, he could be just a walking injury problem. But then, you know, as you saw Jabari go through the workouts and it was clear Jabari Parker wanted to come to Milwaukee. And I think that was another thing that really sold them on him. And you saw the flashes early on. And then ultimately, you know, I'll never forget watching that game prior to my time working on the broadcast, but watching that game in Phoenix where he suffered the first ACL injury and it was just gutting to see it. And and then for it to happen again too was the ultimate deflating um, feeling and, and, It just feels like the unfortunate thing for Jabari Parker is, you know, I saw the same things as well, and and it's hard to dispute that this might be the end of the line for him in the NBA, and I guess it's just a matter of coming into the league at the wrong time that, you know, if Jabari Parker was in the NBA 15 years, 10 years even prior, he probably sticks around and you know, is maybe going through a, I guess, poor man's version type career of Carmelo Anthony, where he would still continue to get um, short-term deals with teams just to come in and be a scorer that lives in the mid-range and take shots from that area on the floor. But as we've seen the game continue to evolve, and some of the things that Jabari did really well collegiately and coming up into the NBA are just not what the, the league values anymore. That that really, really has hampered Jabari and his chances of sticking around. And look, we've seen him and we saw it firsthand, especially that last year in Milwaukee. It's not like Jabari Parker is a guy that, you know, we've seen so many stories like this where it's early lottery picks that just don't pan out and oftentimes you can point to off-the-court reasons and personal issues for the reason why. That's not the case with Jabari. I mean, we know the type of citizen that he is, but... We've seen it. I mean, he puts in the work. And I think you definitely saw in that run to the playoffs in the series against the Celtics, Jabari Parker was working on defense. And he understood, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do. It's just not his skill. And, you know, that's the unfortunate part for him is he's willing to do it. it. It just wasn't in the cards. And that's what makes it, you know, all the more unfortunate. And you feel really bad for him is that this is a kid that did work. And he went through a lot. But ultimately, the league just sped up and moved past the type of player that he was. And that's
1: what's going to end up keeping it a short career. Yeah, the 2016-17 seasons, this was after the first ACL where he had an off season and he had a chance to really come back and play. He was averaging 20.6 rebounds, 49% from the field and 36% from three. I mean, before he did that second ACL again, I remember being excited to see him play. And there was always the question marks. And I love the fact that you brought up the defensive side of the ball because that was always the criticism and that was always the frustration. There's no doubt about that. But the thing that I always came back to with a guy like Jabari, you pointed to it. He wasn't a a problem in the locker room. He wasn't a bad guy. But I think that the overall adjustment that he had to make mentally from a guy that was viewed as a genuine star to a role player, really, and very quickly overtaken by Giannis in terms of the pecking order in the team. And then you're asking him to be, well, we really, you, you know, you're going to be a secondary option. We're going to need you to really be a defender. And I think this, just that change of role was probably something that he'd never been accustomed to. And in the end, I mean, we saw that, the, you know, there there was some unfortunate attitude stuff during that series yeah. against Boston there, which you know, was, again, it was unfortunate. That was not the way that probably the Bucks wanted his time in Milwaukee to end. But overall, he's a guy that, I always wanted to succeed even after he yeah. left Milwaukee, and it, it just sucks. And I think, you know, for a, from a bigger pitcher standpoint, the thing that stands out, and Dean Maniard pointed this out actually in our DM, which is quite staggering to think about. If Jabari Parker doesn't make his way onto an NBA roster here to finish the season, then after Giannis in 2013, your three first-round draft picks that you've taken after that, and these are just critical draft picks that you really, really wanted to hit. And sure, the Bucks are a contender now, and this is an old topic that we're going over here. But Jabari Parker, Rashad Vaughn, and Thon Maker, your three first-round picks after the Giannis pick all out of the league within six years. It's quite remarkable to look at the, some of the guys the Bucks have drafted and how it hasn't worked out. And then the fourth pick after that was DJ Wilson, well, so you yes. know that he's been moved on. So uh, disappointing. You know, drafting matters. And unfortunately, the Bucks haven't been able to nail that with their top picks. Yeah, I was going to say, DJ
0: can't be too far behind. Not, not in being out of the league, but in terms of uh, yeah. fourth what or you fifth got there. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, uh, I think the other thing with Jabari that I'll just say is the unfortunate part is, you know, it – we talked about what happened in in the Celtics series too. And I just chalked that up too, because we had never really seen that from Jabari, that frustration. And we've all been in that spot where you can see in slow motion, things starting to develop in in your Jabari Parker. And you think this is going to be my team and I'm going to be the guy and I'm being groomed to take over here. And then you slowly see it start to change and evolve in the Giannis's team and the way that this team is operating and doing things. It's different than what you anticipated. And then you have to deal with the setbacks from injuries, and that changed the way that you had to approach your game. So I, I think we've all been through those moments where things just don't go as you planned, and it, it's frustration. And I think that's what seeped out towards the end of his time in Milwaukee and you know, defensively too. It's just the unfortunate thing is as, you, as we watched him, you knew he just didn't have the, the defensive IQ he didn't, he didn't understand the second and third move after the reactionary moves and, and didn't know, okay, if I'm here, that means my teammate is going to be here and they're going to be looking to move the ball over here. He gave effort on defense. He just didn't have that cerebral portion of it where it wasn't intuitive for him. And I think that's what ultimately hurt him. But, you know, I could point to numerous examples, and I'm sure you experienced it as well, of my time in the locker room prior to doing the postgame show where Jabari Parker was so unique in just the way that he interacted with people and the time that he was willing to devote to people where I could count numerous occasions where uh, we would go into the locker room after a game and John Henson was the guy that would talk the most way (laughs) back when where John Henson would have the biggest crowd and you would see crowds around other guys when Giannis was just starting to come up as well and uh, Greg Monroe and Jabari Parker would come back in the cramped Bradley Center rock locker room after showering and changing and knowing, I should probably speak, wait at his locker room, wait at his locker as there's a crowd of people around John Henson or whoever it is, Jason Terry, and just wait for them to finish and then say, okay, I'm available. Now you guys can ask your questions rather than sneaking out of the locker room as most yeah. guys will often do. And there was numerous examples as well where I would see reporters go up and ask if they could get a word and Jabari's changing and just say, well, give me a little bit of time here. And then you just move on to somebody else. And Jabari would do the same thing and go back to his locker, sit and wait for that player to finish. And then approach a reporter and say, okay, did you still need something from me? Where it may seem small, but I mean, it's just stuff that not every player does. Where Jabari was a guy you wanted to root for. So it's just unfortunate to see what's happening.
1: Well, there's two roster spots. So the Bucks can sign Austin Rivers and Jabari, they can sign him up and he probably won't play and he can be a part of the parade. Maybe that's the, uh, the future for Jabari Parker in the next few months here. But we'll see what happens with him. Uh, again, we'll get onto the other trades from around the league, including the non... The, the biggest story of the day, the non-Kyle Lowry trade, one that we speculated on quite a bit. But first, I want to talk about built-bar madness. Uh, you'll be very, very happy to know, Justin, that Cookies and Cream took down Coconut Almond. So Cookies and Cream is the first bar... Through to the flavorful four, and now we're moving on to mint brownie versus coconut marshmallow puff. Now I voted for coconut marshmallow puff, so oh, suck it, Justin! Come on, that's that's <laughs> that's the way we're going here. We're going to get some coconut representatives here in the final four. Uh, but you guys know we've been talking about Bill Bar for a long time here. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market. Uh, it's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Uh, I already mentioned today's matchup here, but you can check out the full bracket at builtbar.com or at bar underscore built on twitter just remember to use the promo code locked 15 to get 15 percent off your next order that is locked 15 to get 15 percent off your next order at builtbar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar ever Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Now, the NBA Draft and perhaps teams that were looking like being sellers and one of the teams that certainly a big-time rival of the Bucks, the Toronto Raptors, held on to Kyle Lowry now I think that you can look at this a number of ways we know that the Lakers and the Sixers and Miami were all entangled here in teams that were trying to put something together nothing eventuated I think the fact that the Raptors have kept Kyle Lowry I don't think that they really worry about that they keep a franchise legend the guy that everyone loves I still think that if they can get things together, they're going to be a competitive team down the stretch here that might be able to get into a play in spot and then become a, you know, a real pain in the ass team in the first round of the postseason. I tweeted that out today, by the way, and Bucks fans really feeling themselves against the Raptors team that just beat you two times like last month ago. But anyway, whatever. We'll see. But Kyle Lowry not going to the Sixers is significant, and we can start there if you like. The one thing that I will say as far as Philadelphia go, and again, totally. You know, great move, I think, for the Bucs that Larry didn't go the sixes. But if you are looking for a positive for Philadelphia, you look at the fact that they were able to keep Matisse Stiebel, who I know is respected as a defender, but I'm not sure that he's got the uh, amount of respect he deserves. And with Joel Embiid, who wasn't there last time the Bucs played, and Ben Simmons, it's a fearful three that they were able to throw at you defensively. As far as perimeter moves that they made, they bring in George Hill, who, uh, let's be honest, will probably be a little bit motivated to play against the Bucs if that series eventuates as well. So how did you see this playing out for the Sixers today? Are they better? Are you relieved that they didn't get Lowry? How did you see this? Well, they're better by adding
0: George Hill, Um, not quite to the level that I think they were hoping to get to. And I am certainly relieved that that Kyle Lowry did not go to Philadelphia. And, you know, I wasn't, I think we had talked about, I wasn't, quite as concerned as i would have been with philadelphia if he would have gone to miami but still um you didn't really want to see him go to either spot that as the day was intensifying i think as a bucks fan you were probably hoping okay i I hope the rumors to la are are substantial here and that that's where he ends up going to the lakers or the clippers so for him to stay there i was definitely happy in one sense but as you pointed out and i agree um, well, now there's a decent chance that the Raptors are going to be the eighth seed or potentially the seventh seed. And who knows? They could get up to six. So it's a team that I, you can't rule out playing in the first round. And I understand the nine-game losing streak that they were on prior to that win the other night. Uh, but this is a team that you know, we've talked about many times, just playing in Tampa and health and safety protocols that they've been hit by a, a number of times this season that I'm not really sure the 18 and 26 record speaks to who they really are so if you're asking me who you'd rather play in the first round anybody that disagrees is crazy (laughs) you would rather play you know the Knicks or the Charlotte Hornets or the Pacers or the Bulls than you would see a team with Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam in the first round so that's the one potential for hiccup that's out there um, I was a little surprised they didn't move him, especially when you saw the the moves they were made, the corresponding, we assumed, moves to clear up more roster spots. But I, I guess it's what makes Masai Ujiri so good that, a credit to him, and I know Pat Riley spoke afterwards too, saying that everybody has a line that you, if you're you not willing to cross it, then just walk away from the deal. And, and Masai and the Raptors clearly felt the same way of, we got to get this back. Otherwise, we're not just selling him for 80% value. And, and this doesn't close the door on getting value either, which is the thing I think not enough people realize or are talking about that the Raptors can still pull off a sign and trade with him in the off season and get some value back in that sense. So it's not like you're necessarily watching him walk away for nothing now.
1: Well, Jan Collar on Twitter pointed out to me, uh, they said, well, I mentioned Toronto being a threat and they said, well, not anymore because Norman Powell's gone. So that's the one trade that they did move, which we know Norman Powell, a hall of fame buck killer. He's gone to Portland. Uh, They get Gary Trent Jr. uh, back there as well. And uh, Rodney Hood as well. So, I mean, you know, they've added a couple of guys that can score on the wing there a little bit, despite the fact that Norman Powell Powell was having a terrific season. Um, One last point on the Raptors, because I I mean, as it currently stands, they're eight games below 500. I don't want to spend too much time on them, but uh, the, the one thing I'll point out for anyone dismissing the Raptors is uh, we saw the Bucks. They lost Drew Holiday for 10 games and they went on a five-game losing streak. The Raptors lost Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, O.G. Ananobi. They lost their whole damn coaching the staff. Coaching staff. <laughs> I mean, let's th- that's not, that's not overlook what they've had to go through this year. So there's still plenty of basketball left. We'll see whether keeping Cole Lowry gives them a bit of a boost. I, I was just a little bit surprised that the Sixers, as much as I mentioned Matisse, Theibel, and maybe there's a bit of bias there because he is going to play for Australia in the, the gold medal winning Olympics, uh, Australian Olympic team later this year, which is fantastic. But I was a little bit surprised that they didn't go all in here and say, "Yeah, you know what, let's get Cole Larry. Let's give up Theibel if we need to. And let's make this happen. They did move on from Tony Bradley, uh, Terrence Ferguson there uh, as as part of the deal to get George Hill. And George Hill will be fantastic. I was just a little bit shocked that they didn't go all in. Another team that, yeah, again, we don't need to talk about the Lakers too much because they're on, in, on the Western Conference side of things here. But the report suggesting that uh, THT was the... A sticking point on the Kyle Lowry trade—that's uh, never for the for as long as I live—that is not going to stop being funny to me. The fact that if you're the Lakers with the situation you're in, you wouldn't pull the trigger on that trade. I, I believe I saw something that Horton Tucker is a is a clutch guy. I'm not sure whether that had anything to do with it there, but we know that's always uh, the talking point as far as the Lakers go. But let's move on to Miami because. This was the deal. There's always a deal that comes in after the deadline, but this was the deal that really probably implicates the Bucks as much as any. Again, Miami, they lose tonight to the Portland Trailblazers despite the fact that they were severely uh, shorthanded with yeah. Jimmy Butler wasn't playing there and, and obviously the acquisition of uh, Victor Oladipo wasn't there uh, as well. But this is, you know, I mean, you can make whatever you want out of this, and you can have your own uh, idea of what uh, Oladipo is going to mean for this Houston, uh, for this Miami team coming in from Houston. But I'll say it again, this guy was playing at a, at a pretty high level and certainly the best we've seen him post-injury at the start of the season with uh, Indiana. He clearly wasn't happy with the Rockets. He clearly has wanted to go to Miami for a long, long time. So the fact that he gets there now, we'll see again whether the motivation factor is able to uh, give him a little bit of a boost here. And I think the big thing if you're Miami is they really didn't have to give any of their key pieces away. And that's the huge boost for the Miami Heat. They go into the second half of the season here, not only adding Oladipo, but they've obviously still got Butler and Adebayo. They've still got Goran Dragic. They've still got Tyler Hero, Duncan Robertson, all these players that mean a lot to them in terms of not only the run they had last season, but what they're going to try and replicate this season. They're all there. So I just can't look at this trade and say, ah, all the day part doesn't mean anything because they didn't give anything up. Yeah, no, I, I think Miami, you can make a strong case for having uh, the,
0: the best day just in terms of what the upside is because they gave up nothing and they were able to add more pieces that if it does pan out, then it's going to be huge that they are far and away the winners of today just based off what they sent out in return. And I mean, I was surprised that, you know, we started to hear more and more of potential deals where even, they would potentially have to include guys like Andre Iguodala and they literally yeah, yeah, included yeah. nothing. That Kelly Olynyk yeah. is gone. So that's it. Um, and the money I think is a really good move for hmm. them that he's not going to replace the defensive aspect that Jay Crowder brought them last year in terms of the two way play, but he's going to be able to do a lot of that on the offensive end. And he's going to be able to knock down the outside shot, especially within this offense. So that was a really good move made earlier in the day, which again was for virtually nothing. and, uh, to to bring in Victor Oladipo, I mean, I don't I don't know where you're at on this. I I think what we've seen from Victor Oladipo the last two years is what he is. Not that he's a bad player, but he's not the All NBA level All Star player that he was that one year in Indiana. That and that, and that's fine with this Miami team. That you just need two way play from him, and you need. 12 to 15 points, you're not going to ask him to carry the team. Now, the interesting thing is, it seems like that was the sticking point for Victor Oladipo the last few years. He wanted to be the guy in Indiana, he wanted to get out of Houston, and he certainly wanted to be the number one option. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Heat culture is able to change that. Uh, I'm not sold that it's going to be a huge impact move, but for giving up nothing and the potential of him reaching that form again, then it's a big move for him.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not willing to say that this is, a again, a championship-altering move. I don't necessarily feel that, but it's impossible possible for me to sit here and say this is nothing. I think if you're a Heat fan, you're feeling pretty good about that. Uh, as far as the other teams in the East, Chicago made some moves uh, that picked up Vucevic. It was a real fire sale with the Orlando Magic. Aaron Gordon went West, which you know is something we probably don't need to discuss too much. He went to Denver. And Evan Fournier, as you mentioned, went to the Boston Celtics. Now... Evan Fournier, I saw, was a player that there was some interest with Bucks fans. Ah, can you get this guy? Is he acquirable? And certainly the deal with just a couple of second-round picks essentially um, probably suggests maybe he was. The one thing I'll point out with Evan Fournier, he is a perennial playoff choker. I mean, his postseason numbers are just absolutely awful. I've got him in front of me here right now. So this is a guy that's averaging 15 points per game on 45% from the field and 37% from three over the course of his entire career. We know he's been a reliable scorer. Not a first option, but he's a guy that you can rely on um, to, to shoot the ball well, become sort of a secondary tertiary ball handler as well. He's a fine player. In the postseason, across 14 games, he's averaging 10 points on 35% from the field and 26% from three. We saw him completely disappear after he was a guy that had hurt the Bucks during the regular season last year. So Evan Fournier has done nothing for me to feel like he should be anyone that you should be fearful of. With the postseason, we'll wait and see. And one other point I wanted to make uh, about the Miami Heat I have to say, when I did wake up this morning, despite the fact that I think the deal is good for Miami, I couldn't help but laugh about the fact that if you're a Miami Heat fan, three months ago, you're on cloud nine. You're just thinking, couple of months here, we got Giannis, everything's going to be fantastic, and now your backup plan is Victor Oladipo. It's great. It's great to see. Well,
0: I mean, for for both of those teams, I mean, lesser for Miami because Miami, you know, we've seen Pat Riley's ability to lure free agents when when given the opportunity, and everybody, I mean, Brian Grant has talked about it too. That when you're left alone in a room with Pat Pat Riley, he's the ultimate closer. <laughs> so you get it there in that aspect, of, and especially Miami, knowing what the cap situation is that. There's a little bit of hesitation of, well, we're not going to overpay at the trade market when we can just sign this guy in the case of Kyle Lowry. But you're also the, the motivation there as well, then we make sure Philadelphia can't get him and retain him if you're Philadelphia, I just do not get going all in for Kyle Lowry. I mean, it obviously, in terms of narrative and storyline, makes a whole ton of sense for Kyle Lowry to presumably wind down his career in the same city where he played collegiately and lead that team to a potential championship. If you were able to do that move and we assume keep Ben Simmons and you have that grouping of Ben Simmons, Kyle Lowry, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, I mean, you are right up there with the Brooklyn Nets in terms of what you can do and, and more so on both ends of the floor that I think Philadelphia, you know, they, they should have seen this firsthand if we go back two years ago. They made similar moves to go all in just in front of the deadline with Tobias Harris and making some other moves that year. And they were four bounces away from playing in overtime with a chance to reach the conference finals. And uh, Toronto did the same thing to bring in Ka- to Kawhi Leonard and they won the championship that once you get to that level, you just have to go in and, you know, we've seen the Bucks start doing that more and more now. And that's what you have to do. So to me, Philadelphia is the most confounding and, and the biggest head scratcher where sure you did upgrade and you brought in George Hill, but you get the feeling that you're going to look back on it and say, man, if, if we would have gotten Kyle Lowry, we probably would have won that series in the second round or in the conference
1: finals. And then we have a chance to win a championship. I think the big takeaway from the day for mine. And again, I think that the fact that Larry didn't go to one of those teams is a big win. I think you're feeling really, really good. If you're a Bucks fan, considering the other circumstances that could have played out or the other situations where we could have been looking at right now in terms of matchups moving forward, certainly there is going to be landmines potentially in the first round. And I know we spoke about Miami here and Toronto a little bit, but Chicago, we kind of skipped over, but they pick up Vucevic. Uh, Yeah, he's a handy player. I don't necessarily think he's a guy that you're worried about taking you down in a series. But again, I think that the big thing to point out, or the big, uh, I guess, thing that I'm feeling right now is that there's no Detroit and there's no Orlando in this year's first round. I mean, you are potentially facing a, a challenging team and that doesn't mean that I think there are a chance of losing in the first round but as we've seen in years gone by it's nice to be able to get that first round under your belt because things are going to get serious in the second round there's no doubt about that but the Bucs well
0: go well, ahead. I would just say I mean I, I agree that it's not quite Detroit in Orlando but I think the jury is still out on you know the Knicks and the Hornets and the injuries yeah. that they're dealing with and, and even the Pacers where you're still going to get through the teams in Four games, five at the most, in in those teams that we reference. But um, it's not the total cakewalk that we saw two years ago, where you were beating the Pistons in four and by twenty.
1: So I jinxed it the other night, Justin. The Bucks uh, with the Nets and the standings, and Brooklyn ended up coming back and winning that game that they were losing. Both teams that night, yeah, Yeah, both teams. But Milwaukee now are officially in second, so. Uh, Again, you come up against a shorthanded Boston team tomorrow. You beat them and really you got away with one late in the game uh, a couple of days ago here. So you're going to beat them again. Beat the Celtics, continue their spiral and uh, try and keep pace with the Sixers here because again, as we talk about those matchups in the postseason, seeding could uh, become important here. So uh, the one thing I would say is Hit me up at Kane Pittman. I, I would say hit the Twitter up at Locked on Bucks, but I don't know if you've noted, noticed this, but I've been locked out of the account. It's, uh, it's tough times right now for the Locked on Bucks account. I haven't been able to get in, honestly, for uh, over a month. It's been a long time. I'm talking to Twitter. No one could help me out. I don't know what to do.
0: Well, and, uh, and real quick, too, as we mentioned the Bucks playing the Celtics later tonight, yep. um, we mentioned the Fournier move, but can you explain that to me? Like, <laughs> I get the the Daniel Tice move was done purely to avoid the luxury tax, which is a bad move for the Celtics. You can try to sell Mo Wagner's played better this year, but it is a big downgrade to go from Daniel Tice to Mo Wagner. But can you explain the the rationale behind the Evan Fournier move? Where I get the cost was very low, but what does that do for you? Offense wasn't your problem before.
1: No, I, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is that you know whatever you can't have enough perimeter scorers he'll probably come yeah. off the bench and uh, I guess if you're the Celtics you're hoping now that you lose ties who by the way a guy that the Boston's really developed I thought they really really liked that guy Um, now yeah. I guess they're eyeing off a of LaMarcus Aldridge or you know, potentially an Andre Drummond I don't know if that's something someone they're going to be able to pick up but they're going to need a big man I think that's uh, evident there because as I mentioned Grant Williams probably starting and you know maybe Tristan Thompson when he comes back but that hasn't been a contract that's worked out all that well for them so yeah the Celtics I mean they're a team that probably came into the season wanting to contend but they don't look anything like it right now well, and the and, and we know uh, the Bucs they they always have close games with the Celtics we know that regardless of of the way their team shaping up but I think in the overall perspective they're on the outside looking in
0: well, and, and I know
1: we're trying to wrap up here and I'm
0: the worst because I always keep extending it. But are, yes. that's, the, that, that's the other interesting part is it could be like a Wes Matthews situation from a couple of years ago all over again where you mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge and you hear more and more of, well, he's linked to Miami. But if you're the Celtics, you're going to tell him, look, you're going to start for us and you're going to play a lot. And Miami, that's probably not going to be the case. You're going to be a, a part of our rotation, sure. But you're going to have a chance to really showcase yourself more and work on a new deal playing here than you would Miami. Well,
1: he can still score. That's one thing LaMarcus Aldridge can do, but we'll wait and see the way that pans out. Uh, There's still going to be some player movement here in the next few days, and certainly it's going to be uh, relating to the Bucs as well, which is going to be exciting to see what comes up, because as always, there are also some other names that may surface in the next few days here, so we'll wait and see and keep all you guys updated. Uh, I'm not sure whether there'll be a post-game pod on the weekend, but uh, we will obviously wrap up any type of big news that comes through across the weekend so keep your eye out on the podcast feed justin um you just want to try and extend this a little bit further here you got anything else you want to add or
0: no i'm good i uh i should probably get some rest as it's a, an early day tomorrow and a long day with the courtside and hmm. with the postgame show so i'm good with cutting it off
1: yep you enjoy that i'll be tuning in from over here uh, in australia as always and Like I said, 6.30, Bucks and Celtics, game two of this little mini-series here. Uh, Enjoy the game, and we'll speak to you guys sometime over the weekend.